It's really great to be back here with you this morning, and I just officially want to welcome you all here to Easter Sunday at Pursuit. Uh, it's great to see so many people here in person. If you join us online, we're excited to have you guys here too. Um, I just also have to say that, like, man, yesterday was so awesome, right? Like, Jess and I and the kids were outside, like, for the first time in a meaningful way. The weather was super great. It's warm. We had a fire going. We had, like, put our hammock up. It was awesome. Sun was shining. And I just had this moment where I was like, man, is this what Jesus felt like coming out of the tomb? You know what I mean? Like, uh, well, he was only in there three days. So we've been in our tombs for four months, let's be honest. Like, um, <laughs> it was just awesome. It was awesome to be outside, and it just kind of gets me thinking about Easter. Um, and I just have to say, like, all joking aside, I'm really thankful for all of you. I'm thankful that we get to be here and celebrating our Savior this morning. Easter's are always such a powerful reminder of that. And in many ways, Easter Sundays are the culmination of our faith, the fact that we have a God that loved us, loves you so much that he would sacrifice his son. That's amazing, his only son, right? So that we could have everlasting life. I can't think of a better way to celebrate that than to be with you all this morning. So thanks for being here. Yeah, if you haven't been with us recently, or even if you have, um, we are in the middle, smack dab in the middle of a 14-week series in the book of Matthew on the Sermon on the Mount. And if you're not familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, these, this was Jesus' first recorded like big-time sermon message, like teaching moment, rock star moment, right? Uh, up until this point in Jesus' ministry, he um, was like growing and kind of learning who he was, and he was kind of doing some little things. But this is the moment where he arrives on the scene. He starts teaching, doing his ministry. Uh, Jesus had been recruiting a group of followers, his disciples. There also was this like growing group of followers that were like, had heard about Jesus' reputation, some of the things he'd been doing and saying. And so they were following him. They wanted to check him out too. I mean, the, the analogy that I've used is like when the big rock band comes to town, there's a lot of people that are like, ooh, I want to go to the concert, right? That's kind of what this moment was for Jesus. For Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount was a big departure from the teachings of the Torah and Jewish traditions, the law. And let's just remember here that this audience, these were Jews, like ethnic cultural Jews. Christians were not a thing yet. There was no separate religion. These were Jews who like, were steeped in that knowledge and tradition of how to be a Jew, how to live like a Jew, how to follow God in that way. Jesus is delivering a message to these followers and saying, hey, this is what you've known, but this is the new way of doing things. And Jesus was embodied that. He embodied this new way of living and doing in regards to God's kingdom and in regards to God's desire for the world and for his people. So the Sermon on the Mount really clarifies our need for salvation, and it has a clear path that points to that salvation through Jesus himself. Uh, last week, we were about to start the second section of the Sermon on the Mount, but someone had to get sick, lose their voice. I'm not going to name names. It's not important. Like, we're not going to talk about that. Uh, this week, we're actually going to jump ahead in the story. Um, wow. I love iPads because, like, right when you're about to say something, it skips to, like, the Good Friday sermon. That's amazing. <laughs> Hold on a second. Um, this week, we're going to be talking about chapter 7. We're skipping ahead, and the reason we're doing that is because um, the message this morning, we're in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, actually really fits with Easter really well. So I'm excited to get you guys there this morning. At this point in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 7, like I just said, we're actually turning a corner. Since the beginning of Jesus' teaching on the side of a mountain, beginning in chapter 6, he was exploring what a close personal relationship 
and connection with God looks like. Jesus opened up a new way of thinking for his followers. This new way was actually the only way. The only way to connect with God personally and intimately was through Jesus. Jesus was teaching us that you practice that connection, you practice that relationship by being and doing, by being generous, by praying, by fasting, by not being a religious hypocrite like the Pharisees. <laughs> we find this possibility of a new relationship, a new way of life in close connection with God throughout the Sermon on the Mount. And that close connection frees us. It freed those Jews from the old way of connecting through God, through the sacrificial system, atoning for sin in that way. It frees us in a couple different ways. It frees us from the anxiety of having an all-powerful God who doesn't know us, who isn't connected with us. It frees us, it gives us the freedom to have control, to not have control, sorry, over other people through things like condemnation and manipulation. It also gives us the ability to come alongside others to help them learn this new way of connecting to God through Jesus. It's a very powerful vision of that intimate connection with God. It's a vision that fuels this very different kind of life, and it's really what being a Christian is all about. The Sermon on the Mount is essentially a blueprint for what being a Christ follower, a Christian, is. Here, in chapter 7, Jesus really focuses, he leans in on what it takes to sustain a life like that. So he's going to be talking about things like habits and spiritual practices. He'll be talking about having a right mindset, being righteous. He's also going to talk a lot about prayer, which is exactly where we're at this morning. And if we're being honest, Jesus almost always brings it back to prayer. It seems like for Jesus, prayer is the central practice or aspect of being a disciple, is prayer. So that's where we're heading in the scripture today. But before we read God's word, I just want to share something with you guys. I'm a parent. I've talked a lot about my kids here at different times in different ways. Uh, if I ask myself about one of my favorite things about being a parent, I think I can honestly say I land on the idea that the best part of my day oftentimes is when my kids first wake up in the morning. My wife Jessica's here, and so if you ask her after the service if that's true, she might have a different impression of that. But I can say, like, <laughs> for the most part, it is oftentimes my favorite part of the day. Because when our kids wake up, not always at the same time, we have two seven-year-olds, they either come into our room if we're still in bed, or they make their way downstairs if we're already awake. And it's just so much fun to see them, to experience them in the mornings. Our kids are very different from each other. Tori oftentimes takes a little bit longer to rise. She can be a little bit more spicy in the morning towards other human beings. Axel oftentimes wakes up full of ideas, full of questions, full of stories from the previous day, or even the dreams from the night before. He just is like, he's just going, he's just talking, he's asking all these different things. But regardless of which one it is, most of the time you are greeted with some sort of a snuggle, some sort of a hug. And it just makes my day. I love watching these little humans navigate their mornings because it brings me a lot of joy. Because, you know, if I'm being honest, I miss them overnight, <laughs> most of the time. Um, they're most often at, like, at their best in the morning in the sense that they're fully rested and 
They haven't like had the energy of the day at school. They're not weighed down by like being overstimulated, things like that. It's like, it feels like sometimes the most pure version of them. Just simple, sweet, right? It's also just fun to connect with my kids around breakfast before the weight of the day. I love starting our days together. Now, whether you're a parent or not, I think most of us can relate or at least connect to this notion, this idea about what I just shared about my kids because we've experienced that type of love or connection before, right? Even if you're not a parent, you were parented in some way. Maybe you've had a deep connection with another person or a pet or something that resonates with that type of relationship. Loving your kids, delighting in your kids. Either way, I think we know what it is like. I think I know what you're talking about here. I share this with you because I believe it is central to our understanding of the passage that we're about to read. It helps us understand how God views his people, how he views us. We are his children and he loves us dearly. He delights in us. Maybe not just in the mornings when we wake up, but like all of us all the time, even in our worst moments. It's the same imagery that Jesus is going to use here to illustrate his point. Talks about a father giving his son what he asked for. God actually really does delight in his children. He loves them more than anything. So like the delight of a parent when they greet their children first thing in the morning, you have a God that loves you too. So let's dive deeper into this by reading our passage this morning. So if you have a Bible, please turn to Matthew chapter 7. If you don't have one, you can follow on the screens. We are in Matthew 7, verses 7 through 14 to start. So let me read that to you all right now. This is the ask, seek, knock section. So it starts in verse 7. It says this, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you're evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Very simple words. Probably most of us have read this at least once, maybe multiple times. We know this really well, the ask, seek, knock. It's kind of funny how simple this teaching is by Jesus when it comes to prayer. And it's not hard to understand his words here because that's what he's talking about. He's talking about praying. Maybe you guys are like this. Uh, I am like this. When I come into a setting, an environment like this where someone is teaching about the word or about theology, especially like scripture, I always think it's like an escape room. Like I just need to find the hidden truth. Like if I research or dig in, Whoever's teaching is just going to have like a really powerful thing and I'm going to discover something brand new about Scripture. And it's not that you don't do that or we can't do that here, but I just really want to hammer down how simple these words are and that's the teaching. There's not like a hidden thing here. Ask, seek, and knock. I think what's striking to me is that despite the simplicity of this lesson, I'm not actually sure how, how many of us have sat with and acknowledged how profound this lesson is, how profound these words are. The implications of Matthew 7 are huge. 
They're huge. So let's start with this. How does Jesus depict prayer in these verses? He describes prayer as asking for things. Asking. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I grew up as a boy. I was raised in a very conservative church, the Church of Christ in Minnesota. And when I was taught about prayer, it was not about asking God for things. It's actually far from that. Prayer was first and foremost about praising God. And then secondarily, it was a vehicle for me to deliver my sins to God. This is how bad I was this week or today. And then to ask for forgiveness. If I was asking anything of God, I was certainly not asking anything for me. I was praying, requesting things for other people. For Jesus, it is almost the exact opposite. When Jesus defines here the basic way for us to live this life of relationship and intimacy with God the Father, it is about prayer and it's about asking. And it's not just about asking, it's about asking and seeking and then knocking. So he kind of ramps up that intensity of the asking part. Asking is your basic request and you wait to receive what you're asking for. But then you take initiative and you move out and you seek the response that you've requested. And if you don't get it, then you become persistent. You knock. So you keep that request present and at the front, at the forefront. And how does Jesus depict God within this context of someone praying, asking, seeking, and knocking? It's not as someone who's holding out on us. Rather, God is depicted as someone who is eager to grant those requests, right? God doesn't have like, you know, we're not filling out like a tax form. And then God, like if we meet all the criteria, we pass our background check, then he'll give us a request. It's not like that. He's depicted here as someone who wants to grant every request. God is also depicted as a father over and over and over again. Jesus is calling God, God the Father, God the Father. He's creating this very strong image of a father who delights in granting his children's requests. You know, I was just talking about Tori and Axel when they come downstairs in the morning, when I first greet them in the morning, how I just love that. And I think that if you're a parent, Jesus' words here might strike a little different chord with you in this moment. Kids ask for a lot of different things. Parents are like, yes, they do. They ask for a lot of things, right? Uh, Jessica and I's most recent endeavor to grant a request was we just bought our kids a video game system. Literally two days ago, we just had our Nintendo 64 show up at our house. Now, some of you might be saying like, wow, super relevant gift, Dad. (laughs) Um, If you don't know, Nintendo 64s, they stopped making them in 2003. So that's a 20-year-old game system. We got the Nintendo 64 because the games on that system, they're a lot more simple. And the themes for those games, they're much more age-appropriate for the, our kids. And most of the current games, video game systems, games that you can download on your phones, they're just not. Like, there's also like paywalls and in-app purchases, and we don't want to deal with that. Nintendo 64, way to go. Anyway, the point here is that as a parent, I actually really enjoy getting my kids things. I enjoy granting their requests. It brings me a lot of joy. I love seeing the joy in their faces when they get to play like Mario Kart for the first time. I mean, honestly, I love watching my kids eat cake. Like, that is so much fun for me because they enjoy it. It tastes good. Like, it's this fun thing. I like eating cake too. It brings me joy. I honestly have more fun watching my kids open presents on Christmases and birthdays than I do opening my own presents. This is the image that Jesus is painting here for us. 
God not only delights in his children, but he loves granting our requests, their requests. In fact, this notion is so central to what Jesus is saying that it makes you think that asking for things is central to being a disciple, right? And if we look back to chapter 6, Jesus just taught us earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, he just taught us how to pray. He gave us the example of the Lord's Prayer. And if we were to go back, we don't have time to do it right now, but if we went back and were to reread that in chapter 6, you would realize like, oh man, the Lord's Prayer is just a list of asking for things. It's all asking for things. So have you guys ever thought about praying through that lens? If you haven't, I want to formally invite you into a whole new way of thinking about prayer. But this new way of thinking about prayer, requesting God, asking God for things, it can bring a fair amount of tension with it, unfortunately. There are people here this morning who have prayed and requested of God and have never received. Some of you are prayer warriors. You have prayed and prayed and prayed and you've never had that request granted. I'm not even talking about prayers for like the job or the promotion, the new car, you know, the raise, or like, I really hope this first date goes super well. Like, I'm not talking about that stuff. I'm talking about the requests, the prayers for like a dying loved one, for a conflict to end, for a disease to be healed, for a marriage to be fixed, for the next paycheck so that you can buy groceries for your family. I'm talking about those things. When those requests are made and not granted, I think it is hard to wrap your mind around what Jesus is actually saying here in chapter 7. So if that's you this morning, if that's you, then I have some really good news for you guys. And we're going to get there in a second. I'm talking a lot about my kids this morning, and I'm going to do it again. Um, I've poked fun at this a few times in the past when I've taught, but... My kids really, really like sugar. Like, it's just, it's a thing. And I mean, every parent's like, well, what kid doesn't like sugar? But when I say this, I mean it like my kids really like sweets, treats, desserts, anything and all things sugar, right? If it's sweet, they love it. You know, I just got done saying a few minutes ago about my delight in granting my kids' requests. I really enjoy doing that. I love doing it. But there's a tension that exists within that delight. When my child requests something that I know will harm them, or at the very least not benefit them, then my granting of that request is no longer a delight. It shifts to care and concern, and in extreme cases, fear and anxiety for my my child's well-being. I know that sugar is going to harm their ability to sleep at night, or if they eat too much, it's going to give them a tummy ache. It might rot their teeth, or it might set the stage for diabetes as an adult. I know that video games, the ones that they want to play, screen time in general, it might not have like a positive effect on their developing mind. I know that that certain friendship with that one kid at school that they so desperately want might come at a cost to their integrity. As much as I find joy in giving my kids all the things that they ask for, I know that there is a limit to my ability to grant every request. My care and concern for their well-being is going to trump my joy and delight 10 times out of 10. 
And that, I think, is the truth. That is exactly the same way our God and thinks and feels and acts for us. His care and concern for us, for you, is huge. God's care and concern is like master ninja level. Like you can't even comprehend how much he loves and cares for you. He delights in granting our requests, but he knows. He knows what will benefit us and he knows what will harm us. So the King of kings, the host of hosts, the creator of the heavens and earth, the God who knows you better than you know yourself, the God who is infinitely more invested in your well-being than granting your request the way that you want it granted. That God is going to do whatever it takes to ensure that you are safe and you are well and you are benefited. So if you're one of those people that has prayed and prayed and asked and asked and knocked and knocked and not received, then I so desperately want you to have this moment. The God of the universe, God the Father loves you so much, he delights in you so much that he is willing to do whatever it takes to restore you, to take you back from the grips of sin. I'm certainly not trying to connect some dots here and say that God didn't grant your request because it was wrong. In fact, far from it. I'm hoping that you see that however God grants or does not grant requests, that is for God to know because he is doing the request granting in a way that is for your benefit, even though it doesn't always feel that way or make sense. God who delights in granting his children's requests, delights in caring for them in ways that we just can't always understand on this side of heaven. And that's a hard thing to understand about God. Maybe the thing you're requesting is righteous. That request is perfectly in line with God's character and his will, and it still goes unanswered. It's a divine tension that exists. We acknowledge it. I acknowledge it. We sit in that tension. And we, as a faith community, as a church, we are here and present with you in the midst of that. There are two verses that I didn't read at the top of this message, and I want to share them with you right now. They're in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. It says this, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. Many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few will find it. Jesus is creating an image in our minds of two gates, one wide and easy to pass through no matter the number of people that are doing it with you, and one that is narrow and difficult to enter, rubbing shoulders with other people. As someone who just spent five days in Orlando at Universal Studios, I have a very vivid image in my own mind of narrow gates and long lines. But the point here is that When Jesus is telling us to ask and seek and knock, he's giving us a simple teaching, but the implications are profound. It is also difficult because many of us have baggage with the notion that our requests get answered or they go unanswered. And for those that go unanswered, we have experiences that are opposite of that. Experiences of harm, of spiritual damage, of frustration, and maybe even anger with God. But Jesus here is imploring you to take the path that is less traveled. He knows that following God, 
even in the new kingdom that he is describing in the Sermon on the Mount, following God can be difficult. Jesus knows it can take a toll on you spiritually, physically, mentally, and even emotionally. But he is asking you to take that opportunity because there is nothing but benefit by taking the hard road and the narrow gate. And friends, this is really what Easter is all about. Your heavenly Father delights in you so much that he was willing to sacrifice his own son for you. Let that breathe for a second. He loves you so much he was willing to sacrifice his own son for you. When Jesus shares these words in the Sermon on the Mount, no one knew that Jesus was going to die three years later and then be raised from the dead. No one knew that Jesus was the ultimate sin offering, the sacrifice that would atone for all sins for all time. But Jesus knew. Jesus knew when he said in verse 11, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? He knew that that meant that the good gift was him. More accurately, he knew that the good gift was him dying on the cross. And yet he still gave that teaching. When Jesus talks about the narrow gate, he knew that the path for him would lead to death. And he is just asking you to follow him through. When Jesus tells his audience to ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Jesus is telling us to accept the good gift that he is offering. Our God delights in you, so much in fact that he is perfectly willing to sacrifice Jesus for you. This gift is free. It's already been given. We didn't earn it, but it's ready for you and waiting. All you have to do is accept it. That's it. If this is a new thought to you, if you've never heard this before, if you've never experienced this gift of Jesus, of love and forgiveness, of salvation, please don't leave this morning without talking to someone about that. This is what Easter is for all of us. A celebration, a wild party, here on earth and in heaven, about God's love for you and Jesus' conquering of death. So do not leave here without experiencing that and embracing that. He is risen, everybody. Happy Easter. Let me pray for you. Thank you, God. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for loving us so much and delighting in us so much that you were willing to do whatever it took to save us. God, as we leave this place, I just ask that you would empower us through your spirit. Help us share that good gift with other people. Help us live lives that ooze love, that ooze delight, so that when people meet us, when they interact with us, they can't help but think anything but your son. Thank you for this great gift, God, and we just love you. We love you, Jesus. Thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.